I'm Duncan McNichol. And I'm Dominic Norberg. And this is an episode of Not Exactly Rocket Science. It is indeed. And we are next door to the Royal Infirmary. We are indeed. At the QMRI, yep. as I've said. And we are interviewing Adriano Rossi today. Yeah, um, who is a professor of something. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll find out what, maybe we won't. Yeah, but the easiest will be to ask him what exactly he does. My name's uh, Adriano Rossi. Mm-hmm. And I'm a member of the uh, Centre for Inflammation Research. I'm currently Deputy Director of the Centre. I've also taken over the um, Postgraduate Directorship, which means that I'll have to deal uh, and support all the students, the PhD students and Master's students, Postgraduate students within the Centre. So we can come to you when we need a shoulder to cry on, basically. Absolutely. I'll be there. Okay, here we are. All the time. Perfect, perfect. Um, Yeah, uh, cool. And and so what what is it that you do? Well, um, I'm interested in inflammation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a pharmacologist by training. So I've always been interested in how medicines and how drugs work. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been interested in the inflammatory process Mm -hmm. for a long time. And uh, I think inflammation is important and or involved in every single disease that you can think of. Um, Certainly involved, and it probably plays an important role in almost all diseases. Um, So what we're trying to do, what my group is trying to do, is understand how inflammation works, Mm -hmm. how inflammation is regulated, and how it stops. Under normal conditions where you have an, an infection, for example, or you have a cut, um, there could be uh, bacteria mm-hmm. within that cut. So the inflammatory process is there for a beneficial um, reason to fight infection and deal with trauma. Okay. So inflammation is anything that, anything that the body throws at? Yeah, so inflammation... Um, is a, it's quite a complex physiological response to trauma and uh, infection. Mm. And um, there are a number of different processes involved in combating infection. Um, and one of the main ways that the body deals with this is uh, white blood cells, leukocytes. So I'm interested in how leukocytes work, how they function. Um, but more recently, I guess, in the last... 20 years, it's not that recent, um, as I've been interested in understanding why inflammation, which is normally beneficial and normally goes away mm-hmm. once you've got rid of the infection, what um, happens when it doesn't go away. So I'm interested in the resolution of inflammation. Okay, so that, that actually ties in with a question that, that just occurred to me, which is that, um, so you, you mentioned that inflammation is this sort of positive thing and it's how we deal with wounds and, mm. and whatnot, um, but it feels like as a not researcher at the center for information research um that my my sort of exposure to inflammation is uh anti-inflammatories or some like my mum has um, rheumatoid arthritis um yeah and it's all about trying to reduce inflammation and and that's the context in which i hear about it the most is that just this sort of inflammation that doesn't end that, that you're looking at that where we want to do that or is do we do yes that? in some respects okay. so Anti-inflammatory drugs are probably the, one of the most prescribed or used drugs or medicines in, in the world. Um, we've all heard of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as aspirin. Okay. 
Um, there are other drugs that are widely prescribed, which are um, glucocorticoids, and they are very okay. powerful anti-inflammatory drugs. And then there are a number of other drugs that um, are used, medicines that are used in patients. Some of them are, have side effects. Uh, most drugs will have side effects. Some of them are major side effects. So we're always trying to get better drugs for the treatment of inflammatory diseases. If we can find drugs which help resolution occur, which normally occurs, we're trying to tap into those processes um, that normally occur to combat inflammatory diseases. And that's just something that we're investigating in the laboratory. So how how do you actually investigate that? Like what what is it that so I guess the question really is what is it that you, you do you day do. to day? Yeah. Um I started off my research um career as it were, looking at these white blood cells that mm-hmm. I mentioned, and specifically a type of white blood cell which is very common in the human circulating blood. Mm-hmm. And this is a neutrophil. Okay. And the neutrophil is a very powerful leukocyte, white blood cell, which fights against infection. So one way that we investigate um, these cells these cells, is to isolate them from healthy volunteers like yourselves, um, take these cells, purify them from the blood, and then do experiments on them. Okay. These cells um, are capable of fighting infection, um, and they... In order to do this, they have to, they have to do things. They have to move towards the infection. They have to release products which kill the bacteria, for example, or ingest the bacteria. So they have a number of functional responses. And this is what we can investigate in the laboratory. So you, that's one aspect of our research. So you sort of replicate it in, in vitro and, and give it little bits and pieces to yeah. and see so what we does. can investigate how these cells function, how they respond to different mediators. Inflammation is, um, as I've mentioned, is quite complex. There are many, many mediators which regulate the inflammatory process. Mm-hmm. It's trying to understand which ones are key. We have some ideas on certain diseases, but the, the ones that are key, for example, in arthritis might not be the most important in other diseases um, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, mm-hmm. which we do know usually what the cause is, and that could be excessive smoking, for example. Okay. So understanding the inflammatory processes, understanding which cells are important, which mediators are important, which processes are important, is all something that we're investigating in the lab. And the way we do this is we isolate white blood cells from healthy volunteers and sometimes from patients as well mm-hmm. to understand why there's a di- if there's a difference between these white blood cells. So you're kind of, you're, you're backtracking then because yes. if, if, you, if you then have a patient whose white blood cells aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that will only mean that you then have to go another step and then, I don't know, look at genes or at environmental effects as to why those blood cells yes, aren't doing uh-huh. what they do. Yeah, absolutely. And it could be that the um, the cells themselves are um, not functioning properly. properly. Um, they maybe have not enough of a particular component or the signaling pathways, how a cell recognises a mediator and how it responds to that mediator might be 
key in understanding why um, people get a disease or they don't get a disease. Do you have an example of a of a disease where that that effect is well understood? Like, I mean, uh, confident researchers will usually be happy to point out that they don't know everything, but that sometimes also leads to the false assumption that we don't know anything. Surely, like, you, you probably know some disease where the pathway is messed yeah. up in this way and that trickles down the, the, yeah, the, um, down to the cells in a way that yeah. has then a certain effect and yeah. then a certain disease. Yeah. I mean, we do know a lot about inflammation. Um, it was the ancient Greeks and Romans that first described the, what they're sometimes called the classical or cardinal signs of inflammation. Um, which involves uh, redness, uh, swelling, um, heat and um, pain, for example. Um, that was added later and loss of function. Um, these were signs, gross signs of inflammation that we've known about for a long time. And it's only, I guess, fairly recently we've started to understand how these processes are regulated. We're still finding out new things. So you mentioned neutrophils before. Is that is that where a lot of your focus is? Is it those particular white blood cells? They're white blood cells. Yeah, they're white blood cells. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, is yeah. it those particular cells that you're looking at, or is it yeah, like broader they're, range? They're very important cells, mm. and obviously, if neutrophils are there to defend against infection, um, bacterial infection, for example, um, they have evolved to deal with those invading organisms. But some of the processes um, that neutrophils undergo to deal with those invading organisms can be detrimental or damaging to the, the host tissue. Mm -hmm. And when you have, um, for example, excessive neutrophil recruitment, dysregulated neutrophil activation, or perhaps, and importantly, failed removal of those potentially damaging cells, this is where you might have excessive inflammation, chronic inflammation, and um, excessive damage. Mm. The neutrophils don't work um, by themselves. Um, they interact with other cells, such as uh, monocytes and macrophages and lymphocytes, and all those cells are important in regulating the inflammatory process. How do you how do you mop that up then? Like if you say that you isolate uh, neutrophils and then look at them in a dish, and then on the other hand you say that um, they don't work on their own. Like how do you yeah. how do you simulate the environment? What do you so do? So that's for that? a good point. So a lot of the work that is done in the laboratory is a bit of a reductionist approach. So you isolate cells or you have cell lines and you do experiments on them. But as you're right, they don't work. As individuals, um, they, all, they interact with other cell types. For example, the neutrophil um, has to leave the bloodstream, and in order to leave the bloodstream, it has to interact with the blood vessels mm -hmm. and the cells that are lining the inner walls of the blood vessels. They're called endothelial cells. They have to adhere to the endothelial cells. They have to transverse across the endothelial cells and get to the inflammatory site where the bacteria are infecting the body. Um, so, so, so do they move along the cell or does the cell kind of turn around or does the well, cell transport them or like who does the moving then? Well, that's, that's a good point. So the cells um, are normally in a circulation, the leukocytes, 
And um, there are changes on endothelial cells. There are changes on the neutrophil itself, the leukocytes, which then help the cell to adhere initially loosely to the blood vessels. And then they will stick quite strongly to the blood vessels and the endothelial cells and then migrate usually in between the endothelial cells. And there's some evidence that occasionally they might actually go right through the endothelial cells. And that process is quite complex. There are molecules associated on both the leukocytes and also in endothelial cells called adhesion molecules. And there's various mediators which regulate expression of those um, adhesion molecules to allow those cells to get to the inflammatory site. Once they get to the inflammatory site, they have to respond to the invading organisms. They recognize them using receptors on the surface or released from the bacteria that will then allow that cell, the leukocyte, to recognize the bacteria mm-hmm. and engulf it and deal with it. One thing that we're interested in at our lab is the resolution of inflammation, as I've mentioned. There are a number of processes involved in that. And one of the things that we think is really important in leukocytes is the process of cell death. Mm-hmm. So these leukocytes undergo death. Mm-hmm. They, they will die and, and using a process called apoptosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it, resolution occurs, these cells will die. They'll be recognized by other cells, such as uh, another type of leukocyte, the macrophage. The macrophage will recognize that dead cell. The macrophage itself will change its phenotype. It will become less pro-inflammatory and inflammation will start to resolve. So the leukocyte, the neutrophil, kind of informs the macrophage and tells it what to do, and then repair and regeneration in some tissues will occur. So not only do you have a ton of different cells, but they they, they also just change what they are supposed to do. Yes, yeah. So the macrophage is a classical cell type that can change its phenotype um, depending on what it sees and what environment it's in. Um, You have different types of macrophages in the brain compared to the liver, but they're all macrophages, so they're all derived from the same cell originally, um, and they can respond differently. So the environment, what they've um, been exposed to will dictate what the macrophage phenotype will be. And more recently now, um, there's evidence suggesting that the, the neutrophil itself may not just reside in one type of phenotype. It may actually have several phenotypes. And that's an active area of very recent research at the moment. So I think uh, I distracted with a few questions in a different direction. Um, just to go back to the one question, so how do you emulate that in a dish, mm. the... the um, uh, like a, a complex surrounding yeah. and interaction. How okay. would you? So how I did mention that, that um, a neutrophil, when it undergoes cell death, apoptosis, will be recognised by a macrophage. Okay. So we can do experiments in the dish for this particular thing. So what we do is we isolate the neutrophils mm-hmm. from the blood. We can also isolate other leukocytes, such as the monocyte. Now the monocyte will differentiate into a macrophage over time. Maybe up to, maybe you require five to seven days. Mm-hmm. So we'll also isolate monocytes. We put them in culture, let them differentiate into macrophages. And then 
what we can do is make a new, make neutrophils apoptotic mm-hmm. um, using physiological or pharmacological means, um, and then feed those cells to macrophages, and then you see the interaction between the macrophage and the neutrophil, the apoptotic neutrophil, um, and you can you can see the interaction using a number of different techniques, microscopy. Full cytometry. Okay, stop. Adriana just used uh, one of those big words that I don't understand, um, which was flow cytometry. Um, and so to uh, sort of help get a bit of a handle on what that is, I've asked Philip to come and try and explain it. Um, so good luck. Okay. Uh, so very basically, flow cytometry is a technique uh, that we use whereby you can analyze different populations of cells that okay. are contained within a solution. Um, and so the technique basically involves drawing up um, cells from a solution through a sheath. Um, these cells then individually pass through a laser beam. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they do, the light from the laser is scattered onto detectors. Right. And the way in which the, the light is scattered can give us information on both the size and the granularity of these okay. cells, which allows us to uh, divide these cells into different cell types. Right. This can also be taken a step further where you bind fluorescently labeled antibodies Mm -hmm. onto these cells. And when these antibodies fluoresce as they pass through the laser, this gives us molecular information about the cell surface um, to give more information on these different populations of cells. So you can build this up into a whole array of different combinations uh, to come out with some quite complex panels whereby you can analyze exactly what type of cells uh, are contained within your solution. That's really cool. So it's like a way of looking at, like you, you sort of look at all of the cells individually, but you do it so quickly that you can that you it, look at it, all of them. It goes incredibly quickly. Uh, so the, the flow part is, is mm. literally the flow of the fluid through yeah. the sheath. Uh, so you can you can look at a, a staggering number, thousands of events per second of wow. these individual cells passing through. I'm I'm going to claim one for physics here and say, oh, the magic of lasers. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. No problem. Of course, there's other ways of investigating this. You could go directly into in vivo models of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people, you know, that's what people do in research. So in, in vivo models, is you would do it in some non-human animal? Correct. Yeah. Fire. So you could, for yeah, example, there's uh, lots of animal models. Mm. Um, including the zebrafish model. The mm-hmm. zebrafish model is quite useful. So, um, this, this has been a thing and I've, I've chatted to a few colleagues about this, but zebrafish seems like a really, like on the face of it, it seems like it wouldn't be a good model. Mm. Um, I, I can understand why we, why we would use, say, flies because they're, they're very, very quick to live and die and, and you get lots of generations very easily. Yeah. Um, but zebrafish, uh, they're see-through. That is the answer that I keep being given, is that you can see through a zebrafish. Yes. Is that it? No. Um, you're absolutely right. That is one of the advantages of using the zebrafish. And when we're talking about the see-through fish, yeah. um, it's usually at the larval stage. Okay. Okay. So um, so up to five days once they've been released. Um, they're very small, only a few millimetres long. Um and um, you can see through them. There are some adult zebrafish which have been genetically manipulated 
to be able to see through. You can see their organs. These are called Casper fish. Um, and you can see their organs. And um, But most people that um, want to visualize what's happening in an in vivo situation will use the larvae. Okay, And at the moment, up to five days post-fertilization, there's no restrictions by law, by the Home Office or by EU legislation. Mm -hmm. So you can perform experiments on those very, very small larval uh, zebrafish. Okay, Because okay. it's perceived that they don't feel pain. Um, and that's the reason why they're not protected right. by the Home Office. So... So you asked me, what are the advantages, perhaps, of the zebrafish model system? Well, one of the main ones, I guess, is because you can see through them, they're transparent. And, th and that means that you can see processes occurring. For example, you can see leukocytes rolling along blood vessels or leaving blood vessels or moving to the inflammatory site. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you can see them is because another advantage of the zebrafish is that you can make them you can genetically modify them relatively easily. So you can make, for example, neutrophils in the zebrafish. You can make them fluorescent, either green or red or perhaps even blue. And then you can visualize those cells moving to the inflammatory really side. That's cool. So that's an advantage. So they're easily, you can make, you can genetically modify those fish. You can add mediators and reagents and drugs into the water where they're swimming so you can administer drugs mm -hmm. to them quite easily if they're absorbed um, in the fish you can micro inject drugs into the fish usually in the yolk sac which is quite big in comparison to the rest of the body um, so there are a number of advantages of using the, the zebra fish. Mm -hmm. They breed relatively rapidly, just like the fly, so that's another yeah. big advantage. In fact, I was asked to um, compare um, other models of inflammation to the zebra fish. I mean, I, a lot of my focus of my research is on the lung. Okay. Um, understanding what's going on in the lung, human lung, for example. Um, and they asked me to give a presentation to see advantages and disadvantages of working with the zebrafish. Well, the zebrafish don't have lungs. That is That's a disadvantage. perhaps a disadvantage. <laughs> um, they do have gills, which, you know, exchange oxygen, etc. Um, so there are some similarities. But some of the fundamental processes of inflammation are very similar in the zebrafish compared to the, the human system. What is the so what is um, then particular to the lung when it comes to inflammatory responses or chronic inflammation and these things? Well, the lung is uh, is unique in some aspects. Is that it's obviously that you have to breathe all the time and you're exposed to pollution, for example, um, organisms that are in the atmosphere, um, cigarette smoke, for example. So the lung is directly exposed to um, these foreign objects. So the lung has got to be particularly good at dealing with those um, objects and those foreign, foreign that, that foreign material. So, um, yeah, it has to deal with it. So it's, it's a, an area where the lungs are exposed to um, 
external stimuli. So, so I, yeah, the, I, I guess they're they're more outside your body than. I, this is me thinking like a physicist, but they're more outside your body than I tend to think of them. I think of my lungs as being very much an internal organ, but I guess, as you say, yeah. if you're breathing in and out, they yeah. may as well be on the outside. Exactly. And the other system that's um, kind of exposed to the outside is your digestive system um, mm. because it's exposed both ends um, to potential foreign material. Um so again, that's another area which is tightly regulated in terms of inflammatory response. Um, <clears throat> and there's a real interest in the microbiome that you've probably heard of. These are the, the organisms that live within your, within your body. Um, there's more organisms within your body than you have cells, uh, which is... Quite an interesting concept. <laughs> yeah. So in some respects, we're actually sometimes regarded as a, a super organism, um, where we're actually just a vessel to support the growth of these bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> and the bacteria and the, the body and the cells within the body um, have a kind of symbiotic relationship. And it's been noticed more and more as research progresses that the the bacteria within your guts play an important role in the overall inflammatory response in your overall health not just physical health but perhaps even mental health very interesting area of research as another layer a few layers of complexity it does <laughs> it does it does um it, that does sound like a really interesting uh, area but i don't think we've really got time to go into it i think i feel like we should probably stop using yeah. up your valuable time that's okay um but yeah so we normally do a summary at the end so yeah the, the idea is just to try and sum up what you do i guess yeah as far as i can tell um you you look at inflammation which mm -hmm. is this super important process um because it's sort of i don't want to say implicated in lots of diseases but it's you know it's there um, yeah in, in almost everything um and I think the really interesting thing for me is that the way that you do that is by isolating these uh, inflammation cells or inflammation important cells um, from healthy donors and from uh, patients. Uh, and you look at them in, in a dish and you can uh, simulate various processes that they undergo, mm -hmm. um, sometimes simply by treating one and then putting it in with another and seeing how they interact and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's all towards this idea that if we can understand a bit more how inflammation works, then... It, it can open up, you know, the potential to, to deal better with, with yeah, various diseases. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Does that sound... That sounds <laughs> absolutely fine, yeah. yeah. Great, great. Um, excellent. Well, um, in that case, I think we can probably uh, stop there. Okay. That's oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it's a Thank pleasure you. talking yeah. to you guys. Yeah. That's good. Um, Thank you very much. So that was a really, uh, another really interesting conversation. My um, goodness. With a researcher. Um I the thing that's really struck me about these conversations we've been having is I always thought of disease as being a thing that came from the outside and it seems more and more like a thing that comes from the inside. There are all these cells in your body that are supposed to be doing one thing and they accidentally do another thing and it all goes wrong. Yeah, it's like the bacteria that come in from the outside. They are like just what tips the system towards something else and sometimes you don't even need the bacteria yeah but again it's amazing because it's so easy to tip that balance and yet almost all of us are healthy almost all of the time when we get unhealthy we come to hospital we get 
treated by doctors who, you know, are informed by all of this research. Um, um, by researchers who say that they don't really understand what's going on and yet kind of still seem to have a good enough yeah. idea. Anyway, we should probably wrap up. Um, there are things that we should say. Um, we should direct people probably towards the website. I don't know. Yes, it's uh, www.rocketscience.fm. It's not. That's not the URL at all. Um, is it not? Again? No, there are no W's. And also the, the um, not exactly podcast is called Science. Not Exactly Rocket Science. <laughs> okay, I'll try that again. It's notexactlyrocketscience.fm. Yep. And that's the first time you've managed to say that without going dot .fm. Dot .fm. Like that. If you want to get in contact with us, you can. Do you know what? We may actually check our not exactly rocket science dot .fm email addresses because we, we both have them. I don't know if you knew. I knew that, but you said that you got my email. Yeah. Yeah, I do at the moment. Um, I can give you access to it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, don't tell people that I don't get access to my own email. <laughs> So it's, it's a uh, dictatorship. Duncan at not exactly rocket science.fm and somewhat unsurprisingly Dominic at not exactly rocket science.fm. So just email it, whichever of us you like more. Um, and we'll see how that goes. <gasps> Popularity contest. Um, but yeah, if you, if you have any, any comments or, um, if there's anyone that you want us to interview, um, we're always looking for new interview guests. Um, Preferably in Edinburgh, preferably at the Little France campus. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll travel if you pay our expenses. Oh, yeah. So keep listening. Um, I mean, don't keep listening continuously because this is only half an hour long. But, you know, keep checking in to see if there's a new episode. That's what I mean. Stay tuned, guys. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we'll be with you in a couple of weeks. Maybe longer, maybe less long. It's difficult. There's the summer break as well. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll keep making them as long as you keep listening and probably even if you stop listening.